0: Welcome back to another Frame of Mind episode. My name is Matt Kluskowski from mattk.com, and I'm joined by my buddy once again. Well, not my buddy once again, joined once again by, (laughs) sounds sounds like you're one, it sounds like we were not buddies, uh, Blake (laughs) from 64academy.com. What's up, buddy?
1: Good. I, our last conversation didn't get heated enough for us to not be buddies.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, if you're new to the frame of mind, this is just a podcast where we try to talk about photography, photo editing topics to solidify your frame of mind, shift it, adjust it, challenge it, whatever that happens to be. Um, and our topic today is um, is what if we were starting photography all over again. Um, advice, advice that we'd give ourselves if we were starting photography all over again. So uh, I'll let you, uh, I know we talked a little bit about this, Blake and I actually try not to talk too much. So the conversation is a little bit more organic. Um, So I'll let you kick it off, man.
1: Cool. So the first thing for me, first and foremost, number one, it's going to sound silly to a lot of people here, but this was actually because of Matt. So Matt and I met on a photo walk and he was asking me how I was shooting the HDR images I was shooting. And. I didn't know anything about my camera, so I was doing it all manual, and the worst part is that I was shooting it all in JPEG, so Matt even says, hey, were you shooting in RAW? I was like, no, I don't shoot in RAW. I was shooting in JPEG, and he looked at me like, oh, (laughs) the only reason, and my only reasoning behind not shooting in RAW was because I was so used to editing JPEGs and not knowing what a raw file was that every time I opened a raw file, camera raw would open first. And I was like, why doesn't it just open in Photoshop? I don't want to play with this stupid camera raw thing. And I would always (laughs) just say open and bring it into Photoshop. And I like had no idea. And so there's probably about four years of images that are all JPEG. And I shot all JPEG
0: with bad white balance. And yeah, that's, you know, and it's interesting because back in the early 2000s, raw 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 was difficult number one digital photography was pretty new so we didn't know like we didn't totally understand it people were used to computers by that point so they were used to having programs that could edit a jpeg open a jpeg do something with a jpeg and then you threw this format in this raw format that like you said it put a roadblock in front of you of camera raw which we were all afraid of i i know i was And, uh, and then we also didn't understand what raw meant. Like there's a lot of misconceptions about raw people. People think, people think that your raw photo is not the same quality as your JPEG. Like it's not sharp or it, or it's sharper. I don't know, but people think it's got some, you know, mythical qualities other than it's got more information and leeway for you to edit. It's not a sharper photo. It's not, you know, um, I don't know, yeah. There just back then there there was there was a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of mystery around what a raw file was. So I could definitely see that one.
1: It wasn't until I made the connection with myself to the dark room when I was like, hold on a second. A raw file is basically like a negative. And yeah. if this camera raw thing, that's my dark room. And if I were to take my negatives and just try to print them without, you know, going through all the stuff that we went through in the dark room back in the day, then I would just have a a, a a contact sheet, essentially, right? Instead yeah. of really good images. So once I, once I put that together, I was like, okay, Adobe camera Raw is like my digital darkroom. I need to do this before I can do the fun stuff. Got it. And then I easily changed, but it was just a mindset shift yeah. over something really silly that I let block me for four years.
0: Yeah. I, and I think a lot of changes are like that. I think, I think, you know, it's, I, I think people in general just, we we very rarely learn something new in anything. Sometimes it's just a different way that we look at something that shifts our entire world, right? So right. I think that's an important one. And I would say, I'd say the nice thing about shooting in RAW is because I don't want to discount that there are some needs to shoot in JPEG. I'd say the nice thing about shooting in RAW is you can never, ever, ever harm the original photo, where um, you can with a JPEG, you can overwrite it and do something harmful to it by accident. Um, and then I would say more information, more leeway for editing than you would with a JPEG photo. Uh, I don't think people should shoot RAW plus JPEG because in one click you can have that folder full of JPEGs if you want. I think it's more photo clutter for us if you don't need it. And you know, a lot of people, you know, if you had an art director sitting by that you had to immediately hand the photos off to, which is Probably maybe one out of the people that are listening to this, sure, maybe RAW plus JPEG would be needed, but I'd even argue that that, that's not much of a case. So um, there are times where, so you know when I shoot JPEG, when I forget to clear my memory card before I go out shooting, (laughs) And, and I get out there, and then I realize, oh, crap. I, I I've only got I've only got room for about thirty raw photos on my card right now. Oh wow! Then I switch over to JPEG and I really make sure I try to nail the exposure. But, you know. <laughs> All right, um, mine uh, my my first one my first one is going to be and it it, it so almost like Blake like it's going to sound super simple, but I as I, I've come to believe simplicity is 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 a big key in, in where I am today. And I think everybody goes through this wave of complexity. We start something, we're not good at it, we add to the mix. We're not we're still not as good at it, so we add something to the mix, whether it's gear, whether what it's setting, whatever. And we we we're not good at what we want, so we continuously add things and add things as time goes on, thinking that's gonna be the answer to why we're not happy with our photography. Before you know it, we kind of have a fairly complex photo world. And then I think as you become more confident, you start pulling yourself back to simplicity. I think it's it's the trait of everybody that eventually becomes good at something. I wish somebody told me in the beginning that get your camera in front of something great in great light and the rest takes care of itself. There, if you do those two things, the the photo, the composition, the light, the editing, all of those things become so much easier. But I think if we fail to realize that, and I think a lot of people do, I think a lot of people think I'm not going to say that editing can't help a photo and can't take a good photo and make it great, but editing very rarely will take a bad photo. Okay, not of a great subject or not in great light or both and make it a great photo. And I think people have some misconceptions that we can take a bad photo and make it great later. I don't really think we can get your camera in front of something great in great light, hopefully. And the rest becomes very, very simple.
1: I agree with that, too, Um, although. I lived in California when I started digital photography really seriously, and I had great things in front of me everywhere I went. But then I moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and I've got like barns, barns <laughs> <laughs> or barns. <laughs> so it's like I, I agree with that, but at the same time, um, there's also this. I have almost the opposite here written down and also the same time I have the same things kind of written down on your on the idea of simplicity. A lot of times when we kind of talk about this, we don't really share this stuff with each other. We, we kind of make our own notes and then we come to this thing. So I have simplicity about my workflow because I used to go from Photomatics to Adobe Camera Raw, to Photoshop, to Topaz, to Nick, to On1. And I thought that, that was like a badge of honor because I was moving to all these different places for post-production. When in reality, I didn't need to do all that. I could do all of it in Photoshop if I just knew Photoshop. So I've, I've really simplified that process. But when it comes to the shooting aspect, um, I, I almost feel like I wish I would have comp stomped less. And you know the term comp stomp, where you see something on social media and you're like, because I would do this. I would go to the Golden Gate Bridge and try to find the exact shot that that person got. <laughs> and yeah. Like you're saying, I've done it. I've had it in
0: front of my phone in front of me.
1: Exactly. Good subject, good light. The rest takes care of itself for sure. But what I've noticed recently, especially because I roll with two camera bodies now, one of them will have, well, and this is always now, I carry two tripods, two cameras. One always has a 70 to 200 or 100 to 400 on it. And the other one is my wide angle one. So that way, when I'm on the wide angle one, I can move to the telephoto one and I start to look around and I've actually had more fun and found that more of my images are coming from the 70 to 200 to 100 to 400, which is crazy for me to even do it's crazy for me to admit, Matt. I know
0: so far from our, our Zion trip,
1: go wide or go home. I remember, <laughs> um, but, but I'm finding that, uh, being more deliberate about finding things that I enjoy in a scene rather than trying to comp stomp with yeah. good things in good light. And even if the light isn't good and I show up on location, that's when I find that I'm using my telephoto more because I'm getting into the nooks and crannies and the place yeah. that don't have the epic light that the wide does. But yeah, like at the beginning, I guess, yeah, that would be a great thing. Um, but I, I see your point for that. But then I also see the point to tell a beginner, Hey, relax a little bit and just let yourself shoot. Just, just slow down and let yourself shoot.
0: Yeah. And and I, I agree with you because i what i don't what i don't want to do with that that point that i made is discourage like oh i can't be out at the national park so i can't shoot and and i guess that's not necessarily what i'm saying i'm saying there you know if you just restricted me to just my neighborhood i could still probably i'd be restricted to wildlife okay if you restricted me to my neighborhood I'm, I'm not going to take an amazing landscape photo because there's just not an amazing landscape in the cookie cutter neighborhood that I live in. So I, the architecture is not amazing, the homes are not amazing, the cars are not amazing, the street, you know. Yeah. So, so I'd be strict be restricted to wildlife photography, which I could actually do pretty darn good if you restricted me just to the neighborhood that I lived in.
1: Well, yeah, right behind I, you was a gator when I was at your house. Just <laughs> kind of hanging out. Chilling, yeah. staring at your house. <laughs> Dude,
0: I, 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 I saw there was, I played golf yesterday. There was a huge gator right in the tee box in front of me, like seriously, 25 feet away. Like it was right in front of me. No thanks. And then there was one, we stopped and right after we teed off, we go down a hill and the drink cart lady shows up. So me and my brother stop and get a, buy a, buy a beer from her. And there's a little pond there. And there's a gator sitting there, and she's like, "Oh wow!" She's like, "Look at that gator up by the tee box." And I'm like, "Look at the gator right behind you." <laughs> good night.
1: mind you, it's going to be negative twelve on Sunday in Kansas yeah. City.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I think I think my my main thing to that is just uh, just understand you've got to put something really good in front of your camera. I think that's that's a good thing. Whatever that really good is for you and the area where you live in and i always say this like let's say i was a car photographer that i didn't live in like an area with exotic cars and i didn't have a studio to put cars in and all these things i would probably lose my urge to do car photography if i didn't have really good subjects to start working with it and i think that's my point there is is you've got to keep yourself engaged and maybe you're practicing and looking for great things around your house, but at the same time you should maybe plan a trip somewhere to go, maybe try to find something more interesting, but for sure, there's gotta be that. something good in front of your camera and what you consider good could be different from what I consider good, but there's gotta be something we find enthralling in front of us. I think that's the main point. Absolutely. All right. What you got?
1: Number two, I'd say this one is really important for me. Um, And it's about gear. It's a kind of a double fold thing. Um, Number one with gear, I wish I would have spent more on things that I needed rather than things that I thought would do something for me that I needed. And what I mean by that is I used to buy like a $150 lens instead of the Sony lens because I was Mm -hmm. like, well, it'll be good enough. Yeah. And it never was good enough. And what I, I've learned recently, uh, especially with this as a business and when you're buying a lot of stuff in order to keep a business af- afloat, is that my new motto is buy once, cry once. And that is, I am going to buy whatever it is that is going to get that thing done and is the best of the best of that thing um, in order for it, for me to yeah. fulfill that gap, you know? Yeah, feel good. And feel- Use the purchase. More importantly, though, I think I wish I would have spent more time acquiring skill rather than acquiring gear. Because I think what I learned was that as I acquired skill, I learned what gear I actually needed versus what I told myself I needed, which that hurt the wallet because of all the stuff that I was buying because I didn't have the skill that I needed in other places. Um, that, that could work for software. It did work for software. You know, I used to buy every piece of software that came out up until like 2018, every piece of software that came out for photog- photography processing I bought. And then I got to a point where I'm like, man, my workflow is getting insane. And I just, I just simplified it all down to Photoshop. That's all I use, period. Now I use, you know, a little bit of Topaz here and there with the AI stuff. But, you know, I wish I would have just acquired the skill that I needed because that would have informed me on the gear that I actually needed versus what I was telling myself I needed. If that makes sense.
0: It it does. And I think I think a good way to help with that. And it's it's advice that I try to, I'm sure you get people ask you all the time. They send you a message, hey, should I buy this lens? Should I buy this app? Should I buy this whatever? And you know, almost any place that you can buy gear from has a 30-day return policy. Almost every software app you can buy has a 30-day trial. And the the trials these days don't even watermark your photos generally the trials these days just stop after 30 days they're fully functional and what i try to tell people is don't don't buy it out of the out of the need of oh it's on sale so i'm going to buy it only buy something that you have found you have a direct need for which means if you're thinking about buying that lens or if you're thinking about buying that app Go ahead and buy it and make sure you're in a place and a time in your life where you can use it and determine over the next 30 days, is this necessary for me? And then return it. But all too often, we just get caught up. Like we see something and we're like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll buy it. it, 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 We can argue about whether it's right or wrong, but I mean, almost everybody listening to this has that, has that, what do they call that? The, um, you know, that, that shopping, um, there, there's a, there's a term where you, know, you go remorse. shopping and it makes you feel better.
1: Buyer's remorse?
0: No, no, that's, that's if you buy something that you're not good with. And, and this is oh. a way to get rid of buyer's remorse, but there's a uh, uh, God, I I can't remember. Anyway, there's a term where if you go shopping, you know, you buy stuff and it makes you feel better. And it's a, it's a fact it does. And sometimes buying it re-engages us with the, with the, the hobby, which is okay. But I would just say, get something that you have determined a need for not just a want. Okay. And then once you've determined that need for it, you know what the best thing is? You eliminate what you just talked about, Blake, which is buyer's remorse. Because if you buy it and it sits there and you never use it and you're not even sure if you needed it in the first place, you've got buyer's remorse. But if you buy it after you've tested it, like, yes, this does what I want it to do. You'll never look back.
1: Uh, Yeah, I wish I would have had your advice after I bought the two drones that are sitting in my closet doing absolutely nothing.
0: (laughs) what's your number two uh mine is all right i know what i know what yours is so and because we're going to talk about yours uh, another one that you have um i would say i would try i would try to reduce the number of people that i asked advice from because i thought back in the beginning Just let me get advice from everybody. So right down to the camera that I bought and then, and then the first lenses that I bought, I wish I reduced the number of people that I took advice from because what it did is it sent me off in so many different directions. I, I bought, I, I I still remember the conversation when I first got into photography and I was sitting there at lunch with somebody that that was a portrait shooter. And he's like, Oh, absolutely. The first thing you need to buy is a 51.8. And, What's interesting is I never had any desire to do portraits in the beginning, so I really still don't today, but he was recommending a very portrait related lens. I was talking to a portrait photographer, even though I had no desire to do portrait photography. The first lens I bought was a 51.8 and I walked around thinking that magic was supposed to come from this lens when it, it doesn't. You know? haven't
1: you read all the posts on the
0: internet though, the nifty 50, man, that's where it's know, at. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's probably one of the the i think one I, I think that could be one of the biggest disappointments in photography is somebody who buys a 51.8 and thinks their photography world is now going to change and be amazing and they realize their photography world has not changed at all <laughs> but i do I, I wish i wish i wish I, I i cut down on the number of people i sought advice from um and and really really found people that were number 1 decide it, it can change, but go into it with an idea of what you want to shoot. You get the same questions I do. Hey, I'm thinking of getting a camera. Which one should I get? I, I've got to send you an email back asking you seven different questions. Cause I can't just tell you what camera to get. It's what do you want to do with this? You know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think I, I wish I cut down on the, the advice that I took and just took it from people that were more into what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. 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 A lot of times people ask me too, like I'll get messages from friends and I'll say, I, I'm, we're looking for a camera. Can you help us out? I'm like, what's your budget? And they tell me, I'm like, just go to Best Buy and ask somebody for help. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. sorry. Like Most of the time you can't ask a professional, especially like you or I, like what kind of camera should I get if your budget is $400? I, I'm sorry. I can't yeah. really help you there.
0: But And then I would also say you need to maybe consider You know, in the beginning, I I wish I had considered where I wanted to go for this and almost invested in it at the time because you and I both know we almost all buy something that meets our needs then. And then we end up selling it or holding on to it and buying something new later that really meets where we've grown into. So it's kind of like a house. You know, you're a young family starting out, buy the house that you're going to grow into. If you think this photography thing is something you really are going to invest into, buy the camera and the lenses that you can grow into. Because if you buy the cheap stuff, like you said, buy once, cry once. If you buy the cheap stuff, you're going to eventually, that's wasted money because you're going to buy the expensive stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that sounds easy to say, like everybody's got unlimited money and I know we don't, but there needs to be a, there needs to be a, a, at least have the self-awareness, have the self-awareness to know, Hey, I can't afford any more than this right now. Right, And if you can afford more than it right now, then maybe you should consider it. But that's, I mean,
1: in all honesty, the reason why I started a blog to start a business in photography was because I wanted a better camera. My wife, (laughs) said she told me, she said, go buy that new Canon that you want. And I was like, no. She's like, well, you're starting a blog. You need to have more professional gear. I said, I love the fact that you're giving me permission to buy a camera, but I'm not spending a dime on this hobby coming out of our budget until I can start making money off of it. Yeah, and that's that was my drive, my passion, my determination. And look at it now; it turned into a YouTube channel. I'm sitting in my basement teaching from, <laughs> like, you know, all that happened because I refused. With your dog. I refused. Yeah, I refused to go into credit card debt to get a camera. I said, "I'm going to make this thing pay for it." And yeah. you know that that, but that that's been my my whole life has been like that. So you know, when when people hear that, oh, it must be nice that you can do that. Well, hey. <laughs> Hard work is not nice, <laughs> all right? Yeah, most of it us- It took a long but, time. Yeah, it took a long time, so. All right, what do you got? Uh, number three, I would say probably most important for me, number three, well, I, I kind of have one that's like really important, but this one is actually- Remember,
0: we talked about one because I said I was going to talk I about it. I know, one.
1: but I've got one that is really good, but it's not really- All right, I, you,
0: I, you could do that one and I'll do I'll do the mine the next.
1: No, nah, uh, I don't want you to replace one of yours. Um, <laughs> I would focus- More on the exposure triangle and the theory behind it rather than camera settings and trying to get things dialed in. You know what I used to do? I used to look at uh, a lot of magazines. back. So just so people know, Matt and I met in 2010 at a photo walk. And very shortly after that, I started reading a lot of the Kelby magazines. And um, I'd follow Scott Kelby and Matt Glaskowski and all those people. And some people would leave their camera settings on their social images. And I had a notebook. It's over there. I still have it. That I would write all of your camera settings on, like if you posted a waterfall picture. And then I would go to a waterfall, and I would change all my settings in manual mode to your settings. And then I would try and take that picture, and it would come out like crap. And I'd be like, why did his come out great, mine like crap? And it was all because I didn't understand the theory behind what's happening with aperture, ISO, and shutter speed, and how that trifecta you know, if you're really trying to master manual mode, you have to understand the exposure triangle. But now I mainly shoot in aperture priority mode. And I really just use my uh, EV plus minus mm-hmm. beca- because I'm on landscape mode. And I, it's different when you're in wildlife mode, but yeah, yeah. In landscape mode, that's how I shoot. And I shoot. when I teach at workshops, I, I walk up to someone's camera and I say, what are you doing here? Well, I'm trying to get this, but I just can't get my my settings right. Well, wh- what mode are you shooting in? Manual? Why? Because that's what I'm supposed to, right? No. Like, let's take a look at this. Like, why isn't this working? So let's, I'm not going to teach you the cheat. Let's see why this isn't working. Well, it's not working because it's overexposed. What can you do if it's overexposed? I don't know. Well, okay. There's three things that you can do. And it all happens to be halves and doubles. If you just learn in halves and doubles, halves and doubles, you'll get this. If You half the light, double the light, boom. It's done just by moving these dials. So understanding the relationship between halving my light that's coming into the sensor or what the, acceptor, se- uh, the sensor is accepting you know, and then knowing, okay, well, I need to be in this aperture because I'm shooting a landscape. So it's gotta be F13 or F14 or F16 or whatever, maybe F11, whatever. Um, so I need that aperture. So what else needs to change either the ISO and the shutter speed? Okay. Well, what am I sacrificing or what am I gaining by moving these? If I use the shutter speed, then I'm going to get blur. If I use the ISO, I could get grain. Those are the negatives, but what's the positive? So then, you know, once you understand the theory behind all that, it's very, it's extremely simple to change your settings on the fly, you know, and it's not because I know the numbers, I could care less what the numbers are. I know the dials and I know what happens when I move that dial. So, you know, often when I do teach a workshop or I'm at a workshop, people are like, Blake, what are your camera settings? I'm like, it doesn't matter come on, man, just tell me what they are. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm at, uh, you know, and then I'll tell them, but I'm like, look, I need you to understand why I'm here because what can happen two seconds later is the light's going to change and I'm going to move my ISO. And then you're like, Blake, are you still at those same camera settings? I'm, no, I'm not. I changed my ISO. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. it, it's because you can't just keep relying on a camera setting or a number to be the thing that is going to give you the results. You have to understand the theory behind the whole triangle and what happens there. And honestly, I didn't understand the exposure triangle much until I went to survival school and learned the fire triangle because the fire triangle, you know, what you need to make a fire and what you need to make ox- uh, to make uh, uh, exposure work. I was like, oh wow, now it, now it connects. That makes I can't sense. Can't have this without this. Okay, yeah. and then they all work cyclically.
0: No, man, I I, I agree because um, it it. It's, it's interesting because I, I battled with it because this, this was on the exposure. Triangle was on my list, too, just for everybody listening. Um, and and it, I battle with it a little bit because I also really feel go back to my first one, which is get your camera in front of something good and you could put it on P mode and and make a good photo. In most cases, right, we, we, we could. Um, what I would say is what I would say to that, I, I think there's a balance. And I think that that people have to find that balance between the creativity of putting your camera in front of something good and being able to recognize that and then being able to recognize the settings that you need to take that. And again, I I think there's a balance. And what I mean by that is I'll be this is a this is a um, when I would uh, teach uh, workshops in Costa Rica and I would often have people say, okay, so so we're, we're photographing wildlife under a canopy of trees. So it's dark, even though it doesn't look dark because your eyes have adjusted. It's, there's very little light coming through. So I would say, okay, we're on manual mode, widest aperture. Number one, we want the best background behind the subject. So we want to use a wide aperture, a low f-stop number. And then you're going to put your shutter speed on whatever you need to freeze that subject. If it's sitting still, maybe it's 1 400th of a second. If it's flying really fast, maybe it's 1 Okay. And then I would say, go to auto ISO. But even if you didn't go to auto ISO, you would have to move the ISO to whatever number produced the proper exposure, right? Mm-hmm. Inevitably, I would have somebody say, Matt, my, my ISO is at 12,000. What do I do? And, and that's, that's somebody that doesn't necessarily understand the exposure triangle. So, so now you're trying to troubleshoot something that's not possible to troubleshoot because you don't understand the interaction of those three numbers. There's nothing you can do, right? You're you're at the lowest aperture your lens will go to, can't go any lower, that won't let any, you can't get any more light in. You don't want a blurry photo, so you've got to shoot at the shutter speed, you've got to shoot at, the ISO has to be what it has to be. And, and that's why I think it's important because you and I were both there at some point where it was like, the something didn't look good and we didn't know why and that's the worst thing right Mm -hmm. is is you don't know you don't know why something doesn't look good so back to what i said in the beginning like i favor the creative side of things because i think that's probably the most important but you have to marry that with a little bit of technical we're not saying we're not saying know your camera inside out because there's too many features no inside out but you got to know the technical and my analogy would be there are days i go out and play golf and, man, I am hitting lasers off of the tee, and I don't know why. <laughs> and while I like the feeling, it's a very uneven, uneasy feeling because at any point in time, that hook into the trees could come That's because dope. I don't know why I'm doing something right. You right. Know? So I think marrying a little bit of the the feel, the creative, the enjoyment of photography, marrying that with some technical skill. And you don't have to know a lot. Like Blake said, if you understand the exposure triangle, you understand how to capture any photo out there.
1: Yep. It's easy halves and doubles, man. And, and that, I think that gives you more creative freedom because yeah. you're less focused on technical stuff and you can, you can spend more time on vision. You can spend more time looking around. You can, cause the, absolutely, it used to be, the camera was so difficult for me that I didn't understand it, that I would spend more time with the technical aspect on location than actually shooting. And now it's reversed. I barely even think about the camera. And all I think about is my vision and what I'm going to do with that scene. So what's your number three?
0: All right. Yeah, we should probably start bringing this in for a landing here. Man, I got so many. I I, I think I I think I would go with them. I'm going to put two of mine together. And that is community or a group of like-minded people. Um, Because I wrote like, you know, find a photo buddy. Find a photo buddy to help you get to that next step, um, and I, I I think I think that's something everybody, as they're listening to this, should try to work for this year. And it, it's hard. Maybe that photo buddy is somebody from a camera club. Maybe that photo buddy is somebody that you met in an online community, and you just you know, you like the comments that they've said. They resonate with you. Whatever, but it, it doesn't come easy. It, you're you're not gonna you you. Most people aren't gonna find that photo buddy right away but I think it can really help you because you need somebody that you can trust to ask for opinions from. You shouldn't be blindly asking for opinions from anybody. You should never, ever post a photo to a group of people you don't know and say, give me a critique. And so you need somebody you can trust opinions from. And then I'll dovetail that into another thing, which is buy what buy what your friends have. Um, I, I bought I bought a Canon camera in the beginning when all the people I shot with had Nikon. Mm-hmm. And so when I didn't understand something in the camera, I couldn't go to them. When my battery died on a trip and I didn't have another one, I couldn't go to them. Um, when there was a piece of gear that fit, whatever it was, we, we couldn't swap. Okay. If all your friends use a PC, buy a PC, don't buy a Mac. Like you're going to struggle because you're, they're going to have things that they do. And you're going to be like, I don't see it here. You know, try to buy something close to what your friends have. And I think that that sets you up. To be able to learn a lot more along the way. (laughs) I,
1: you know, I can attest to that hundred percent because I like to shoot with people when I go places, uh, definitely for a lot of different reasons. Um, But I would also say that that's, that's good for a lot of things. I mean, we've become business buddies, not just photo buddies. And when I was doing my business by myself, I felt like I was in like this ocean and I was the only Island and no boats ever came by. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was a, it was like a sad, lonely, scary feeling knowing that you're just floating there, just hanging out. No one's coming by. But then when you started your own business, we have used that as a synergistic way of balancing ideas off of each other, talking to each other. And we even honestly say, no, that's not a good idea, buddy. Don't do that. Or how about you try this? Right. And that has been so helpful for us as business people. But you can just flip that right off and just say the same thing for photography. You know, people come to me for critiques on F64 Elite, but if they had a trusted buddy or a trusted friend that has the same type of processing style or the same feelings about photography as them, they could have that same critique session with each other and, mm-hmm. and be open and honest and, and help each other out. So that's that's awesome advice for sure.
0: All right, you got one more?
1: Um, I you have... Well, this is the, this is my, well, I already did my third. That was the other one. So we could wrap it up or I could okay. have one more uh, thing, but
0: I, I've got, I've got something that, which I think you're going to jump onto immediately, which I think is a good way to, to wrap it up. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of taking, I, I wish I knew I, I, I was looking at videos, I was reading articles about, about this topic ahead of time, just cause I wanted to spur some other ideas besides what I just had in my head. Um, and so I'm just going to read it because it'll come better. That, that. But I, the, the gist of what this person said, I, and I, I can't even find where they said it was. Remember, like. Nobody really cares. It sounds bad. And it's so like I, I got to build. Nobody really cares about your photo. OK, so when you're out shooting with a group. Guess what? They really care about their photo. And you'll, you'll pull the camera over and you will be like, look at what I got. And they will be like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Right back to their, you know, right back to their camera. You know, it's, a, it's just like, oh yeah, cool. I'm, I'm happy for you. Let me get back to what I want to do. No one really cares. Okay. And, and I don't say that to be harsh. And I don't say that to discourage people. I say that to encourage you to be okay with, 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 with doing what you like. Okay. And what I mean by that is I said, so take photos of the things you want. Don't, don't censor your vision because other people don't find it interesting. And I I would say a great one would be like insect photography. You're going to have a hard time finding a large group of people that really like taking pictures of bugs. And you're going to have a hard time finding your friends and family that are like, wow, that is an amazing grasshopper. Right. But if you're into it, there's a, there's a certain feeling of enjoying what you're doing. So don't censor what you like. Don't censor what you're doing because of other people do it, enjoy it, post it. Maybe somebody likes it. Maybe they don't, but you have to enjoy it first and foremost. And I think that's important.
1: Absolutely. And I have so many personal projects that I do that fascinate me beyond belief. And I'll send it to Matt and he's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you know, I really man. liked your your trading card one with your brother, the captain America one where you put your brother on captain. <laughs> that was awesome.
1: So um, yeah, I've got a lot of different personal projects. I've got some that I don't share with anybody, anybody I've been doing these, what I, I call color field paintings in Photoshop. And I love color theory. And I'm one of those crazy people that likes Mark Rothko paintings. And if you ever have seen a Mark Rothko, it's basically just a swatch of color on top of a swatch of color. But I do those in Photoshop. I don't share them on social media. I don't share them with my wife. I don't print them. I don't, I, I make them and I enjoy them. And I think they're really cool. And I just have them They're, they're my little thing. It's like my little precious yeah. so the thing that I hold for myself that keeps the flame alive in the hobby while I'm still doing productive work as a business. So anybody who is doing this as a business who might feel like they're in the same grind of here, I go to shoot another wedding here. I go to shoot another event here. I go to shoot this, have a personal project that maybe you don't even share with anybody that keeps yeah. your love and your passion for photography, uh, like a burning flame, right? That's yeah. what I would recommend on, on, on top of that. I like that idea of just doing what you do and, and maybe you do it and you don't even share it and you just have it. And it's your little thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. To know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's you, you've got to really, really like it. And you know, back in the day, I can talk about like some of the competitive nature around where I used to work. But I, I felt like I had to do all this studio lighting to be considered, to be able to hang with the people that were in the circles that I was in, and I dreaded it. I I dreaded every time Mm -hmm. I hired a model to come into the studio and had to set up these lights, I dreaded doing it. And it wasn't my job. That's the worst part about it. I was a content creator, but I was trying to get good at this field that I thought I had to, even though I didn't want to. Um, I I think that's a a good one to leave on. Don't, you know, don't, don't let anybody do what, do what you want to do. And, um, you know, there's a certain degree to, getting appreciation for what you do. And by all means, if you're somebody that needs that appreciation and it's okay to, to do that, you know, make sure you're posting your work or, or getting feedback from somebody that's similar to that. But at the same time, I think we do need to enjoy it by ourselves. Agreed. All right, man. We'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, end it there. Blake, we can uh, find you over at f64academy.com? Correct. Yep. That's Anything boring. new you're working on these
1: days? I've got like seven things in the pipeline right now. And I just need to <laughs> let them out. You know how my trials and tribulations. <laughs> um, I am working on a big thing this year, a really big course that I am really excited about, but that's going to be a couple couple months down the road. So,
0: what what, what should our listeners look forward to?
1: Th- that course is going to be huge. I've been working on this course for two years, and it's a it's a it's an empowering course, while at the same time probably one of the best panels I've ever created. Um, it's going to be pretty big, I think. So, cool. I'm excited about it, but I got to get some other projects done for f64elite.com, which is my subscriber my subscription website before I can really dial in on that. But that's my goal for probably March. I'm thinking.
0: Cool. Sounds good. You? Uh, if you can find me over at mattk.com, I got courses, presets, all that fun stuff. So uh, appreciate you guys, everybody listening, and um, thanks again, Blake. Thank you for uh, for the conversation. There's some good stuff in there. Hopefully. Uh, I think our, our overarching theme, simplicity. Absolutely. So guys, enjoy. Happy New Year. I know we didn't say that. This is probably the first podcast of the new year, but happy New Year, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon.